So I got to thinking this week about uh, Father's Day and kind of wisdom and some of the wisdom that I got from my dad. And one of the things my dad used to tell me on a pretty regular basis, um, generally when uh, it was like a the night before a big assignment was due in school, um, and I was freaking out because I didn't have what I needed. Um, uh, my dad would look at me and say this. He would say, TJ, a crisis on your part, or a failure to plan on your part does not constitute a crisis on my part. I remember thinking, Dad, I know you're saying that, but I still need, I still need poster board. Like, I still, I know it's 10 o'clock at night, but I still need a piece of poster board so I can be ready for tomorrow. Um, and one of the ways that, you know, I can kind of look back at my own youth is realize how much wisdom I didn't have. Because I remember one time my dad was trying to get out of the house. He was on his way to an appointment that was pretty important um, and could not find his wallet. And he was looking everywhere for it. And he yelled, he said, TJ, jump up off the couch and help me find my wallet. And I looked at him and I said, Dad, a failure to plan on your part does not constitute a crisis on my part. And here's what's crazy. I got in trouble. I got in trouble because uh, apparently that was the wrong thing to say at the time. Um, but one of those things that, about being a dad is there, you do end up with those phrases and sayings, those things that kind of stick around. Sometimes you're like, I don't even know what that means, but my dad says it all the time. Um, we can kind of end up with these pieces, uh, bits and pieces of wisdom from our dads. Um, and sometimes it's not so much. Sometimes we end up with stuff that we get from our dads that's a little harder to shake, um, a little tougher to uh, emerge from. You know, one of my good friends years ago, we're sitting there and he is a uh, uh, he's just got, he's a Western Kansas guy. He's got that look of like, hey, if the Marlboro Man had stopped smoking when he was in his 30s, but like still, still was a Marlboro Man. He kind of has that look to him, just that handsome, rugged cowboy look. And we were talking, and uh, he just was getting ready to turn 60. And as we were talking, he said, you know, I still think about every time something goes wrong, what my dad said to me when I was a kid. And he begins to tell me the story of walking out, uh, helping his dad get the truck through the field. They were trying to check on some of the cattle. Uh, It had been raining, and the road had kind of washed out a little bit, and so they're trying to get the gate closed uh, behind them. And so dad had jumped out to try to get the gate, and he had his son pull the truck through, and the truck got caught in one of the washouts and dropped down. And that little bolt that sticks out that that you can drop a fence post onto, or on the edge of a fence post, you can drop the gate onto it, caught the truck right on the fender and held the wheel up in the air. So you could not get the truck out. The truck was totally stuck. And his dad looked at him and said, you know, this 10-year-old kid driving this pickup and said, this is what happens when you send a boy to do a man's job. And from that day forward, every time there was a mistake in his life, every time something went wrong, uh, every time he dropped the ball, all he could hear was, this is what happens when you send a boy to do a man's job. This is a 60-year-old man standing here talking about the fact that when he drops the ball to this day, he can still hear that voice in his head. And I'm sure it's not what his dad meant to leave him with. I'm sure it's not necessarily what his dad wanted him to walk away with. But it is part of our responsibility as parents to pay attention to those things. And in particular, as we're kind of looking through this series on wisdom, we've looked at wisdom is this big concept that's kind of important throughout the whole of Scripture, but it's also important because it's a part of everything that we do. Um, Sometimes when we hear wisdom, we have this tendency to want to immediately jump to some sort of academic definition of wisdom. And so we see wisdom as somebody who maybe sits in a big high leatherback chair. They've got, they got leather elbow patches on there. They've got a pipe. They're thinking deep thoughts. And that's what wisdom really is. Um, and biblically, that is not what wisdom is. Um, that is not what wisdom is. In the Bible, over and over again, wisdom is wise choices. 
Um, wisdom is understanding how the world really works. Um, one of my favorite definitions of this is uh, from Pastor Tim Keller. He said, wisdom can be defined as the competency with regard to the complexities of life. So life is complicated. It's not always easy. It's not always straightforward as to what we do. And wisdom is what the scriptures call us to do when it comes to that. And so we've been kind of wrestling with that for the last couple of weeks on what does wisdom really look like for us? Um, how does it fit together? Um, and, and then last week we talked specifically about what does wisdom look like when it comes to other people? Um, because sometimes life is, is fairly easy until you have another person involved. And those of you who are married or have kids, it, you can tell that that's, there's some truth in that. That, hey, this is pretty straightforward and simple until there are other people around, and then it becomes more complicated. It doesn't just become more complicated a little bit. It becomes a lot more complicated, and so how do we begin to navigate people? Um, and this week, what we're going to do is we're going to look specifically, again, back in James, but we're going to really look at wisdom related to really understanding ourselves, um, really understanding ourselves. Um, we kind of live in a culture in which our own self-identity um, is super important. Uh, we live in a culture in which I think probably more than any other time in history, what we believe about ourselves shapes how we approach the world. And so I think Scripture has something to say about it. So um, if you've got your Bibles, we can flip open. We're going to begin back in the book of James, uh, James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. I love the book of James. Um, it's kind of lumped in with the epistles, um, the letters in the New Testament is kind of what it's called. So sometimes you, you'll see it called the general epistle. Um, I think the best way to understand James and to look at James is James is a wisdom book the same way that Proverbs is. And so if you open up and read the book of Proverbs, you're going to get all of these different sayings. And some of them are longer. You have these diatribes in Proverbs that can be, you know, five, six, seven, eight verses long, sometimes as much as a chapter long. And some of them are just little pithy quotes, you know, a, a, a man without self controls like a city with no walls. You know, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good proverb. That's something you could stick in your pocket uh, and remember. Um, and James is really similar to that. It's got this kind of wisdom experience. And so we're going to start uh, in James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. It says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like somebody who looks at his face in the mirror and, uh, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So there's a lot going on there. Um, one of the challenges for me in even reading this verse is this was written on a little a piece of art my mom made when she was in high school that hung in the bathroom at our house. Um, and I still want to quote it in that same verse, which is the King James, and so I'll keep, we'll, you'll hear me slip back into the King James as I try to read that verse, um, because it was just such a part of my childhood. Um, but there's several things that are happening kind of in this passage. There's several things that he's talking about here. The first one is just do not be merely listeners of the word. And I think this is just one of those things in Scripture, again, when it comes to um, words in English, the Bible has really clear expectations on what those are and what those mean and how to understand those. And sometimes we hear them and we can, uh, we can sometimes miss it. Again, wisdom is one of those words. We can hear wisdom and we think philosophy, professor, big thoughts, you know, big existential reality, somebody who's deep into epistemology and metaphysics. They understand uh, these huge concepts. And in Scripture, wisdom is wise choices. Um, when it comes to this passage right here, it, what he's saying is don't just merely listen to the word, but to be doers of the word. 
And that's sometimes hard for us because we hear, we talk about we need to believe in Jesus. But biblically, when we talk about believing in Jesus, what you think in your head is secondary to what you do with your hands. What you think in your head is secondary to what you do with your hands. Because scripturally, how do you know what somebody believes? How do you know what somebody does? It's because of how they live their life, how they live their life. And so what he's saying here is don't just listen. And we sometimes fall into this habit where we are just listening, where showing up feels like enough. Well, I showed up, I heard, I listened. Um, but Scripture calls us to something a lot bigger than that. Um, and even if you're, if, especially if you're a parent, if you're a dad in this room right now, you know this feeling because you've talked to your kids and you've said, hey, I need you to hear me. So look at me, repeat after me, and they'll repeat after you. you got it, got it, everybody's got it. Okay, everybody's on the same page. And then they leave and they don't do it. I thought you heard me. I thought you said you heard what I was saying. I did hear what you were saying, but you didn't do it. So you didn't hear me if you didn't do it. And that's what James is saying here is if you don't hear the words of Scripture, then you're not doing it. Um, the, the, if, you're, if you're not doing it, then you're not hearing it. Um, because if we merely listen, it can result in deception. And I think this is the part that's really challenging um, if, for me in particular. Um, as I was kind of thinking through this, what he's saying is, is if you just hear it, if you just know it intellectually, if you can assent to it, if you can quote it, if you can, act, if you can talk the talk, that's great. But if you don't do it, then you didn't hear it in the first place. And we live in a culture that's so easy to say the right things, to know the right information, and yet we struggle to do it. And yet we struggle to do it. We, can, we live in a culture in which it's so easy for us to kind of feel these things. Um, and sometimes we, even when it's not even related to Scripture, we can still have this idea that if I just had a little more information, if I just understood this a little bit better, um, I need to research. Uh, how do you know if you're the kind of person that runs into this? If your immediate response to a problem is, let me, go, let me pull out my phone. Oh, you've got a medical condition? Let me pull out my WebMD here real quick. Let me start, let me start looking. What do, I, what do you do? Or if you're like, hey, there's a problem. We need to get a new thing. And so you're like, oh, I know how to do this. Let me go to Wirecutter, Consumer Reports. Let me do some research on this. And we spend a ton of time trying to find the right answer. But there often isn't a right answer. It's, it's really about the behaviors that we choose, the results that we choose. And so we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're actually doing something when all we're doing is listening. Uh, we're not actually hearing. There's also this challenge of when it comes to this, <clears throat> one of the areas I think this happens is we, we have feelings. Um, so if you go look back in, in history, one of the things that people would do for medicine is if it made you feel a way, if you threw up, if you took medicine and you threw up, then it must be working. It did something. And sometimes I think we do that with church. Like, hey, I came to church and, and I felt guilty. So it counts. That's, that's, I did something. I accomplished something. I went to church. I listened. I heard scripture. I heard a preacher talk. I felt really bad. That's church. We got it. But that's, it's so much bigger than that um, because we can fall into these habits in which we think that by what we're doing, um, we are ultimately deceiving ourselves because at the end of the day, what James is really saying here and what Scripture in its totality is saying is application is everything. Application is everything. When it comes to wisdom, application is everything. And so we have to begin to ask ourselves, are we 
falling into this practice of looking into the mirror and forgetting what we look like. And it, what's crazy about this for me in particular is I remember reading this passage as a kid and thinking, what kind of person forgets what they look like? How does that, how does that happen? And then uh, this morning as I'm getting ready, I'm like, man, my, my hair has gotten really long. When did, when did my hair get, why didn't you tell me I needed a haircut? She's like, well, I don't, I don't need to tell you when you need a haircut. I'm like, I got to do something about this. And then I realized, I've looked at myself every day in the mirror this week, and I've never seen it. I've never noticed it, because I wasn't really paying attention. I wasn't really tuned in to what's happening. Paul says it another way in the book of Romans. He says in Romans chapter 12, he says, For uh, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, uh, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. And there's a ton in there we could talk about, but I want to hit that one part. Do not think about yourself more highly than you ought. One of the greatest temptations for us is to look into the mirror and think that we've got it. Think that we've got it together. Sometimes we even think to ourselves, if we just were given a chance. Um, one of the things that I heard the other day that I thought was just absolutely wild um, at how accurate it was for me is many of us, uh, in particular men, up until we're about in our 40s or 50s, really think that if we just had enough time to train, we could compete at the top level of some athletic endeavor. Doesn't matter what it is. And I, I heard that and I thought, you know what's crazy is uh, in my head, I could probably run a marathon. Now, to be fair, I ran half a mile with my daughter and I have to go see an orthopedist on Monday because my feet still hurt. But in my head, I am still capable of this. And because you get into these visions of yourself, these identities of yourself, you know, oh, I could figure it out. I get in and do that. Um, and so many of us fall into that. And it's a stereotype that happens over and over again. Oh, I'm not going to call a mechanic. I'm not going to call a plumber. I'm not going to call this person. I'm going to do this myself. And then it costs us the same amount of money. My wife's making faces at me right now. It costs us the same amount of money it would have cost if we just called somebody. But we're convinced that we can do it. Um, and so we all kind of fall into that temptation. But there's a flip side to that too. He says, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. I think the other side of that is some of us have the tendency to think a lot less of ourselves. We have a tendency to run ourselves down, to have expectations for ourselves that are pretty low. I shouldn't show up. Nobody would want me there. I'm too awkward. I'm too uncomfortable. I'm not important enough. I don't know. And we can begin to tell this story. And part of what Paul is saying here is, no, you can't do that. Because one, one of the terrible challenges of that kind of thinking is, it's really selfish. You begin to focus on yourself to the point at which you don't even realize it, that this negative self-talk is really a way to keep yourself at the center of that conversation. And what Paul is saying is don't think too much of yourself, but don't think too little of yourself either. Think of yourself soberly. Think of yourself accurately. Know who you are and how you fit together in the rest of the body. And I think that's part of what our struggle is. It's part of what my friend's struggle was. His, his image of himself was so tied up in his dad's comment that that's all he could hear. 
That's all he could hear. And so I think for us as human beings to move forward, to be doers of the word, to be the kind of people who look at the mirror, we have to look at ourselves accurately. And it leaves us with a couple things. Um, you know, in a Proverbs says this too. In Proverbs 27, 19, it says, As water reflects the face, so one's, li- uh, one's life reflects the heart. What we do with our life reflects what's happening in our heart. How we spend our time, our money, our resources, our thoughts reflects what's going on in our heart. And really what this challenge is, is for us to begin to view ourselves squarely as Scripture would ask us to. That we are created in the image of God. We're created to be useful. We're created to be a part of community. There isn't going it alone here. But understanding deeply how we're created. Um, I think that's the first step in beginning to apply this wisdom to your life, is really squarely understanding yourself having a clear lens to look at yourself. And so you know yourself well enough to know, are you somebody who thinks of yourself a little too highly? Are you somebody who thinks of yourself a little too lowly? How can you begin to reflect on yourself a little more soberly? Maybe it's a conversation to ask with some people around you, uh, to begin to talk about, uh, to begin to wrestle with a little bit. Um, How do you see me? How do you understand me? What could I do differently Uh, to change that? How could I begin to be something different? Because one of the crazy parts of being, uh, of growing and aging is we begin to shift how we view things. Um, So I think that that's the first part is that that squarely knowing yourself is how we apply wisdom to our own lives. Second way we apply wisdom to our own life, because again, application is everything, is we have to take a longer view. Um, I asked all my kids this morning, I was like, if you guys, hey, if you guys were a waiting for something that was really important to you, like really important to you, how long would, would be a long time to wait? And, you know, some of my kids immediately had an answer. Some of my kids had a lot, well, what, do you, what, do you, what am I waiting for? And I'm like, something that's important to you. Am I just waiting to learn about it, like if it's possible, or is it like, is it going to arrive? You know, they're trying to figure, so you can hear their brains working, you can hear some of their personalities. Um, but the general consensus was that, you know, to wait a long time for something is to wait about a month. Wait about a month. And I, I think that squares with what I remember as a kid. Like, to wait a whole month for something felt so long. Felt so long. And now I'm like, oh my gosh. We're going to Kentucky in three weeks. That's, we better hurry. We've got to get, start getting things together. We, got, we only have three weeks left. This is running away from me. And I begin to uh, shift. And so Julie and I were talking, and she said, you know, for me, it's probably about a year. I think it's pretty close where it is for me, too, that a year feels, feels like a, a getting into a longer time to wait for something. But there's other things where I'm like, a year's not that bad. It's not that long. It moves pretty quick. Um, when David said this morning as we were meeting at 930 that we're halfway through the year, I was like, why, you didn't have to say it like that? Halfway through, like a, a whole year already? Like it was just the first. Um, because time begins to move a little bit quicker as we get older. But Scripture's pretty clear that we're called to set a longer timeline. Jesus says in Matthew, do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures for yourself in heaven. He's not saying don't store up treasures for yourself. He's not saying that that that, that impulse is is the wrong impulse. He's saying you've got to change your timeline. You've got to change your timeline. Um, And we see this over and over again in Scripture. Um, Scripture is very honest about who we are as human beings and what our motivations are, but it's to begin to shift this timeline out. Um, In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, it says this. It says, uh, teach this to your children's 
children, is what it says. Teach this to your children and also to your children also. Do you know how weird it is to see yourself as a dad? Like for, for those of you who haven't had kids yet, the experience of becoming a dad is such a bizarre one. You, you, you go into the hospital and you leave as a dad. That's, that's it. You just sat in a very uncomfortable chair, shook hands with people, said, yes, I will pay this bill. Like, but that's it. And you're just a dad. There's no test. There's no certification. There's no anything. You just let you do it. Anybody can do it, actually. It's really crazy. And it took me, um, partially because I'm a slow learner, it took me years before when I thought about myself, dad was one of the terms that I would use to describe myself. It took about four years being married before I saw myself as a husband. It took about four years of being a dad before I, like, I saw myself at my core as being a dad. Um, and partially, again, I'm probably a slow learner. The rest of you are probably way quicker than me. <laughs> but it's this identity that really seeps into who we are. But what's crazy is to sit and think about my kids' kids. I was sitting cuddling my eight-year-old this morning, and we were talking. And I said, Megan, do you think one day you'll be a, da- um, a mom? Do you think one day you'll have kids? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> but um, do you want to go, let me show you a hoverboard trick? <laughs> and I said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, because she can't even think on that timeline. Uh, she's eight years old. The idea of being a, a mom and being a grandma is so far removed. And, you know, it, it is so difficult to begin to picture yourself, though, in those places. I mean, some of you are like, oh, absolutely, I can picture myself. I've been doing it for years. It's been no big deal. But beginning to stretch out that timeline. And so when it comes to making a decision, if all you'll do is move the timeline out, the wiser your choices will be. If all you do is move your timeline out, the wiser your choices will be. So if you're making choices about money and you're looking at your finances and you're trying to make some decisions here and now, um, sometimes what we do is we look at the budget. Do I have the money to afford it? it? Yes. Great. No. Okay. And we consider that wise. But wisdom is really pushing that timeline out a little bit. So not just do I, can I afford this now, but can I afford this down the road? Can I afford this in the future? Uh, Can I afford this in six months? Can I afford this in a year? What would it mean for me to buy this in 10 years? Um, One of the first opportunities, when I turned 16, I'd been working for uh, already for a year. Um, Turned 16, 17 years old. I was getting ready to buy my first car and was trying to balance things out. And a friend's dad said, hey, I've got this crappy old Buick. Um, I'll sell it to you for 500 bucks. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'll take that. And my dad's like, no, you don't want to take that. That car's just not going to make it anywhere. Um, you're going to end up with, you know, thousands of dollars in repairs in the first couple months. You don't want to do that. It's been sitting for three years. Like, you don't even know what the problems are with that car. I was like, you're right, Dad. You're right. And so I came and I said, hey, Dad, my friend's grandpa has this old Triumph uh, T6 in the garage. How cool would I be in this old Triumph T6? Um, and uh, he, said, he, said, he said, how much are you selling for? I said, 1100 bucks, Dad. I can buy it for 1100 bucks. It runs. It's great. It's even got some parts for it. And he said, do you have any idea how hard it would be to maintain that car in rural Kentucky? And this is pre-internet. Mind you, this is pre-internet, so you couldn't just order parts. Um, he said, do you have any idea how hard it would be to maintain that car? I said, what are you talking about, Dad? You can maintain it. I'm just buying it, and then I'm going to drive it. That's all I got to do. I'm 16. I know what's up. But again, he saved me from some of those poor decisions because his timeline was longer than mine. 
But if you can stretch that timeline out to what is this going to mean for me in five years? What's this going to mean for me in 10 years? What's this going to mean for me in 50 years? Sometimes that's how we try to talk to our kids about our finances. But what if, what would it do for you and your family if instead of talking about your finances in terms of what would this do for me down the road? What will this do for me in the future? But what would this do for me and my family in 100 years, in 150 years? What would my decisions now have then? Because we all look back and we think, man, if I had just bought some land up at K96 um, in Greenwich, a green witch, um, if I had bought that land back in the 50s, imagine how good things would be. Imagine how good it would be, if only. Imagine if you bought stock in Coca-Cola. We all play this game with money. Imagine if, imagine if, imagine if. The people who win in that game are people who stretch their timeline out a little further and stretch it out a little longer. But it doesn't even apply just to money. It applies to the choices we make that are sometimes harder and more difficult to navigate. What school should I go to? Who should I marry? Where should I live? Should I take this promotion? Should I take this job? If we stretch the timeline out, and not just, is this good for me now? Will this be good for me in five years? Will this be good for me in 10 years? But will this be good for me in 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Will this be good for my children's children, children? You know, how far out can you push that timeline? The longer we stretch that view, I think the healthier our view will be. One of the challenges for all of us when it comes to wisdom is to hear the words of Scripture and to really apply them to hear the words of Scripture and really apply them. Again, we live in a culture where it's so easy to get wrapped up in what's best and what works that we miss growing up. Uh, My dad for years has told me that you can kind of uh, benchmark how far somebody is in life, um, really a lot based on time. He said when people are asking questions and when they're trying to make decisions and the questions they ask about those decisions are, will this be fun? That person's still a child. A person's still a child. Will this be fun? If it's fun, yes, let's do it. If it's not fun, we're not doing it. That's how kids make decisions. Um, so then you begin to kind of move into that stage of does this work? Does it work? And I think it's really crossing into being a young adult. Like, does this work? If it doesn't work, I don't want to do it. If it works, great. That sounds great. That's a plan. Um, and you begin to make those choices, and that's how you choose jobs and careers. Um, a lot of us find ourselves in a career, and it's not because it's necessarily anything we chose. You know, we grew up in an era in which we didn't have uh, a ton of options, and so we were like, well, I'm going to be a marine biologist, but I live in the middle of Kentucky, so that, and I can't spell it, so that's, that's probably off the table. And so how do you make those choices? Um, and so we begin to ask the questions of what works, what's practical. Um, when you cross over into middle age, you begin to ask those questions of what, what matters, what matters? What is important? Um, what should I prioritize? Um, because the pressures of life begin to become more realistic. And so you're kind of moving into that adulthood phase of what really matters most. Um, it's not a question that somebody in their 20s asks for the most part. What matters? Um, you can go over and visit any of the fraternities here in, uh, over at WSU, and uh, I guarantee one of the questions they're asking when it comes uh, to how to celebrate on a Friday evening is not, hey, what matters, guys? What's most important here? Um, it's the question of, is this fun? And so the third question you begin to cross over into is, uh, is when you're beginning to hit that kind of senior adult phase, and what's going to last? What are you going to leave behind? 
um, what's going to be here long after you. And the sooner we can start asking those questions, the more wisdom we can begin to incorporate into our decisions, the longer we can stretch out our timeline. And again, this is one of those things that's super practical. It's one of the uh, parts of Scripture that I just love. It doesn't just apply to our money or to our health um, or to our happiness. Um, It applies to all of our life that as we begin to make these choices, if we can stretch that timeline out, if we can understand who we are created to be in God, and if those are the two ways we make decisions, our decisions will be so much better. I look back at my own uh, adolescence and my own uh, early young adulthood and just wonder, man, it's not that I did anything terribly stupid. It's not like I made a a catastrophic decision that's totally bankrupted the rest of my life. But there were so many opportunities to make wiser choices and choices that would have had an impact now. Um, And it's one of those things that I begin to even wrestle with in my own life. And so as we're talking about wisdom, I hope that you hear this and it's an encouragement. I hope as you hear this passage, you hear it and it gives you some freedom to begin to walk away from the guilt, um, walk away from the frustration, and begin to walk into what God has called us to. Again, I want to circle back to what James says. Um, He says, do not be merely listeners of the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's the call of wisdom. Don't just hear, but do. Don't trick yourself, but listen and live in light of that. One of the amazing truths of Scripture is that Jesus has come, and nothing stays the same. Jesus has come, and nothing stays the same. And so that's the invitation for you. So if you're somebody, again, who grew up in church, and this is something that you've heard for years, and you look around at folks, and you're like, man, they said all these things, but when I look at their lives, I don't see wisdom. It's because they were deceiving themselves. It's because they were still caught in this cycle. And it doesn't mean you have to any longer. And if you're somebody who this is the first time you've been to church in a long time, um, you got talked into coming by a friend, um, know that this is part of what we're called to do, is to live in light of the fact that Jesus has come, that the King has come, and nothing stays the same. I'm going to pray as the band comes up and sings with us. Father God, I thank you so much for who you have made us to be. God, would you give us sober judgment when it comes to ourselves and how we talk about ourselves, how we view ourselves, and how we interact with the world. God, for those of us who think of ourselves a little more highly than we ought, we're constantly convinced that we could just give it a chance. God, for those of us who think of ourselves a little more often than we ought, that we're obsessed with how other people see us, We're constantly worried that we're not enough, that we're not living up. Would you help both of us to know that we belong squarely in you, that we are created in your image? As James says, we are created for good works to help bring about your kingdom, that we've been given this gift of freedom because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that we are given this gift and it's not freedom to do what we want. It's not freedom to do what's fun, but it's the freedom to do what lasts. 
Would you help us to become about that business? The business of wise living for the future of the kingdom. God, would you help all of us to stretch out our timeline? To move it from the near future to the future that you have in store for us. Father God, I thank you so much again for the forgiveness that comes from Jesus. That the guilt can melt away. That our mistakes are not counted against us. That our sin and rebellion is not who we are. But instead we are sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. That we are partners in your kingdom work. As remarkable as it is, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection provides forgiveness for us so that we can not only stand free of condemnation, but can be about bringing about your kingdom here and now. It is such a remarkable gift. Would that be what motivates us to live wise? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.